edition of the Standard Room Only Podcast. Ben Standing here. I cover the Washington football team for The Athletic, and I'm excited to talk to you guys. A fun podcast, an interesting format. We, we did something different today. Six topics, 10 minutes each. I set a timer and everything, and to have me bounce around hitting on the Washington football team, the Nationals, uh, college basketball, Tiger Woods, some other uh, some other interesting tidbits in town, including any one thing you would fix, most popular athlete in town, Post Ovechkin, and some other things, is none other than Barry's Verlugo with the Washington Post. He agreed to my madness uh, to, to participate in this, so it was a fun chat. We just finished a few minutes ago, and I'm excited to play that for you here on the podcast of course, you can subscribe to the Standard Room Only podcast anywhere you do your podcasting, iTunes, Spotify, and so on. Read my work on The Athletic. Check that out. If you want to follow me on Twitter, I am at Ben Standig. And for, for Barry, of course, at Barry's Verluga, S-V-R-L-U-G-A. His last name will be part of the conversation. You'll see why in an interesting, an interesting way. Um I want to, before we get into that, and we, we talked, like I said, uh, a bunch of different topics, even some of the one things I just didn't get in uh, that I didn't even just mention, it was really kind of went all over the place in town and, and around the sports world. Um, I wanted to get to three topics, though, off the bat here uh, really briefly. First off, this is a personal favor. I, I don't know if I ask for personal favors too often here, but I'm going to do one now. Now, again, let me just say, I could not I could not tell you how much I really appreciate everybody's support for the podcast. Uh, people who uh, have talked have said nice things to me on Twitter, uh, people who know in my real who know how to get a hold of me in my real life. Do that. You can always email email me, of course. Uh, be standing at theathletic.com. Uh, and people who have left comments for me on iTunes and so on. Um I've mentioned this often in the podcast, the idea of, hey, when you have a minute to drop a review or, or a rating, you know, could you do that? And I kind of say it and just kind of move on. But I want to emphasize it because here's the reality. That stuff matters a lot. Uh, my friend Al Galdi, who's been on this podcast, used to be with the Team 980. He's now started his own podcast, which you can check out. He kindly had me on yesterday, one of his first episodes. And Al and I were talking him. If you look at the list of the top U.S. podcasts, sports podcasts in this country, Al is currently way, way, way up there among you know big national heavyweights. And I look, it's because he's got a ton of ratings and reviews on iTunes. Uh, and you know, obviously that's he's getting a bump, I'm sure, off the bat for for starting out. And you know, I'm sure he'll also do a great product and keep his audience. The point though is, I asked him kind of how he did it. He said he just really emphasizes this. So I'm going to emphasize this now. If you have a second to go to iTunes, if you're an iTunes person, which most of you are based on the traffic, to drop not just a review, or sorry, not just a rating. Look, I don't want to tell you to do five stars, but obviously that's that helps if you think, especially if you think it's worth it. But also if you have a quick second to drop a line or two in the review, if you even want to just use that space to say, to talk about different topics you would like or guests that, you've, that we've had on that you like or guests you would like to have on, if you want to use it as a place for feedback, Whatever works, but if you could go in there and do these things, I really don't like asking for this, but this is how we get more attention for the podcast. This helps me 
get this in front of more people. That includes people like my bosses to help it so I can help, you know, a better sounding product, a, a one that's, you know, I get some more help on the editing side. And obviously the more attention I get, you know, we can even go up and guests, even though I think we've had some really good guests lately, obviously, uh, uh, you know, people like Joe House from The Ringer, our NFL draft analyst, Dane Brugler, getting Barry's Reluga is a big deal. Jay Gruden, uh, Bill's GM, Brandon Bean, and so on. So I think we're doing pretty great already. There's always more room for improvement, and this is where I think you guys could help. So, again, if you're an iTunes person, you can even hit pause here. <laughs> go to the go to the ratings, go to the review. Again, don't like asking, but this is the reality of the situation, how we get attention. All right, let's move on to the topic number two. Um, I, I just want to at least mention the Wizards. Uh, I'm talking to you guys on a uh, Thursday afternoon. Uh, Barry and I didn't get into a ton about the Wizards. We did get into a some, but not not my usual level. Obviously, they've been on a really nice run lately. They did lose their last game to the Clippers, but that ended a five-game winning streak, which included uh, victories over the Nuggets, road wins at Portland and, and the L.A. Lakers. And they've obviously just been playing better. Now, I talked at length about the Wizards with Fred Katz on his Wizards After Dark podcast, which is on The Athletic. You can, of course, check that out. But I just wanted to note that, you know, look, I think – <laughs> they've been playing a lot better since Joe House and I discussed and really was kind of pointing out all their flaws. And a lot of the flaws still remain. I'm not suggesting all of a sudden that they've won this amount of games, that they've solved all their problems. But go back to the beginning of the year and expectations. I thought they had six or seven seed upside. At that point, I didn't necessarily know that Russell Westbrook would be as limited as he was physically out of the gate, that Thomas Bryant would be lost for the season with a knee injury. Um, that the COVID pandemic would wreck them to the degree that it did, where it kept them off the court for, for a long stretch of time, to the, to the degree that Davis Bertans was not in shape when the season began and then got derailed as well when the pandemic hit and so on, right? Um, they are playing better now than they did then, that's obvious. And there's a lot of reasons to probably get into, but I just think on some basic level, it really probably comes down to Russell Westbrook. Bradley Beal's been killing it, obviously, not just leading the league in scoring, but he's a, he's a pretty consistent force night in, night out, both for production, but just effort and so on. And, you know, they're getting some solid play here and there from guys off the bench like Halo Neto, Mo Wagner's giving them a lot of energy, Garrison Matthews, the same that he's coming in the lineup. Bertans' is, uh, shooting has stepped up a lot. I had a uh, – I, I, I compared Bertans' – the perception of Bertans – to uh, life, uh, to 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 some sort of life philosophies in Fred's podcast. You can check that out <laughs> uh, as well. And obviously, you know, Rui Hachimura and Danny Avdia had some big moments during this winning streak. But ultimately, the ups and downs of this team are going to come down to Russell Westbrook in a lot of ways. When he's been hot, they've beaten the Nets. They've played really well in some of the against some of these other opponents. When he's off, he's such a ball dominant player that it really can take the team down because he can't. He's not just going to go be off on the side. Um, and it's not easy just to bench him because of who he is and what he can do. So they're playing better. And I think Russell Westbrook's improved play, it looks like he's healthier, maybe not all the way back, but healthier, is goes a long way. So you can check more about my thoughts on the Wizards over with uh, Fred on Wizards After Dark. Uh, lastly here, uh, just Brandon Scherf. Obviously, at this point, we're in franchise tag mode. The, the, that window opens on Tuesday. No indication at this point, again, talking on Thursday afternoon, about one o'clock East Coast time, that um, there's any sign that Washington is is, is, is doing anything with Scherf, be, either in terms of using the tag or an extension. We'll see how that goes. Uh, 
there's been talk about the idea of what you know could Washington use the tag. I know there's been some reporting out there that they might, um, and, and some people think that they could. I wrote on the Athletic today why to me it makes absolutely no sense for them to do it. That it's not a real threat in any real way. Um, if they are comfortable paying him 18 million dollars next season, uh, a number that would you know be vastly higher than what other guards, you know, other top guards are getting paid a- annually, a big jump, 120% jump from what he got paid last year on the tag. And it pretty much ensures that he wouldn't be here beyond next season because they're going to, his side's going to use that as a negotiating start. And that number would still be out of whack even um, in 2022. And that's at a point when Washington m- maybe starts to try to make moves to become, to really join the elite. I mean, until they solve the quarterback problem, right? It's hard to say that they're going to be a real contender in the NFC. And it's, as we've discussed before, realistically, I don't know how much, how, what they could do with that position uh, this offseason based on the options. Barry and I do get into this, so I won't step on that more than what I just said. Um, I think you make your best offer, Brandon Scherf, and let the chips fall where they may, assuming you want to keep him at, at, at what you think is a reasonable number. I'm not talking about Bruce Allen low-balling Kirk Cousins. I'm saying come in, come in hot, come in good, be strong, and go from there. But the tag to me, not a real threat. I talked to a bunch of uh, sources around the league, including some league executives, people who were in the room for these kinds of conversations and got their take and, and, and kind of shared a lot of that in the story. So I hope you guys check that out on The Athletic along with um, – all of our other work there. We, we had a, a, a group mock draft, all the beat writers uh, that uh, you can check out my pick for the Washington football team and more. We'll have a lot more draft talk coming up here next week or in the near future at, the, at a minimum on the podcast. So I just wanted to drop those three things in here before we got started, but we're going to get started right now uh, with Barry Zerluga from the Washington Post, a really fun chat, new experiment. Again, let me know what you think. You can let me know what you think in the uh in itunes if you'd like or again hit me up on twitter at ben standing shoot me an email as well so here we go my conversation with barry zuluga from the washington post here on the standing room only podcast all right it's experiment time here on the podcast we're gonna try something different today and uh the the, the basic gist is gonna be this well actually first let me say this in order to do this particular experiment i needed to, to figure out a guest who could talk on a bunch of different topics and do it intelligently, not just like, you know, uh, remember when people used to go to bars and like sit there on stools and talk about sports like that, but like smarter. So I reached out to somebody who definitely knows, knows his town, knows all these topics, not just the football team, but we'll talk about them. He is none other than Barry Zerluga with the Washington Post. Uh, so before we get to what the experiment is, Barry, how, uh, how uh, it's important to ask in this world, how, how are you? Uh, I'm fine, Ben. Thanks for asking. Um, still really feeling not being able to go to a Caps game with 18,000 people in there and uh, having them um, unleash the fury. Uh, as this goes on and on, it, it, I tend to miss in-person sports with big crowds more, but maybe we'll get some fans in baseball stands, uh, stadiums this summer and solve some of that. Uh, I will say it was unbelievably surreal to be at the when the, the Washington football team playoff game against Tom Brady. Um, this is a complete sidetrack. We'll get to what we're doing. Uh, years ago, when our mutual friend friend Howard Fenderich lived in uh, Rome, 
Right. I went and visited him and I didn't know, of course, anything where I was walking. And one night we're at the, doing the bar scene. It's like two in the morning. It was the two of us and a friend of mine. We're walking back to his place and I, we're just following him. We turned a corner and standing in front of us was, I always forget, is it the Pantheon or the Parthenon that's in Rome? The, the Pantheon? Oh man, one's in Athens and one's in <laughs> Rome and I can't remember and now I feel stupid. No, I, I'm the one who brought it up. I should know. Anyway, so whichever one it was, we turned a corner and it's standing right in front of us. There's three people there. There's nobody else. Here's this thing that's been here for centuries. It was. It felt like we, we had just like discovered it and like we were the only people in the world at this moment. It was an unbelievably <laughs> cool moment. That's how I felt watching Tom Brady play. There was like literally... 30, 40 people outside in the stadium, not counting the people in the press box, just 30 or 40 people. It was so weird. I tried accepting the fact that like, I'm very privileged at this moment to be in this situation while simultaneously thinking, man, this sucks. Yeah, <laughs> there's there's not 70,000 people in the stadium that we all complain about that doesn't have the, the great support and this, that, and the other. And this is the moment and there's nobody here. Right. Jeez. Weird. Yeah. I'd like to get I'd like opening day to be opening day with 40,000 people at Nats Park, but uh, I, I doubt that's going to happen. <laughs> All right, so here's the here's the experiment. Rather than just bring on Barry to talk about one thing specifically, the Washington football team or, or, or another team in town, I wanted to bounce around and do it in this way. Six topics, 10 minutes each. I got a timer here and everything. We're going to go around. I, I, I've prepped Barry for this madness in, in, in advance, so he's aware of what he's walking into to some degree. Uh, hope for the best, Barry. I appreciate it. I don't know if you're Lewis or Clark or which one I am, but <laughs> we're, we're, we're going to try this and see what happens. So uh, I got the timer. Show him, Barry. There's the timer. Oh. I don't know if you can see it. No, I don't know. It's in, it's in there somewhere. I believe anyway, it. 10 minutes. Here we go. First question. First topic. Uh, we'll start conventional. Alex Smith made some comments this week where he kind of took a shot at the organization, which was really weird. Because he's the guy who says literally nothing uh, about anybody else. He talk, he's talked a ton about his own journey, obviously, from, with his comeback, with his leg. And he's gotten a little more uh, out there over the last few weeks about his playing feature. Seems like he confidently wanted to play. But he really kind of went out of his way to say that the organization didn't say Ron Rivera specifically, but that the organization was sort of an impediment, to, in his view, to this comeback. I'm curious as a guy whose job is to write columns for the Washington Post and sort of take these moments and put them to articulate what you think. What, what did you think when, when you heard uh, Alex Smith say these things? So I probably, if Tiger Woods hadn't gotten into an accident, I know we'll get into him maybe, but um, I probably would have written about this, this, this week. Uh, but I, I have maybe the most tepid take about it. Like, what did Alex Smith say? He said, no, of course they didn't want, heck no, they didn't want me around. Like they, I was a monkey wrench in their, in their plans. I, I think that's actually reasonable. Like I remember thinking Ron Rivera, you know, in the early, after he was hired, um, essentially New Year's day, 2020 in his early assessments kind of saying, Oh yeah, don't forget, you know, Alex Smith is here and kind of going, why are they even mentioning this guy? Like, He's not going to play football again. Like, like I actually thought it, they were kind of going out of his, their way publicly to nicely include Alex Smith in a quarterback competition that everybody thought Dwayne Haskins would win. And Kyle Allen was kind of brought in for insurance. And that was the reality of that. But 100%. Uh, yeah, but um, 
So if he sounds like he has a chip on his shoulder a little bit, I don't, I don't think, I mean, the, the, I think he's saying a truthful thing, which is, oh my gosh, I was able to play and cleared medically to play. And that wasn't something that they had really planned for. In fact, they had planned the opposite of that. So I was an extra part. Um, I, I didn't, I mean, I didn't find it incendiary. I did find it interesting, I guess, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I think it's definitely like, I, you know, people talk about like bias and just in life or media or whatever. I, I don't think it's biased. Also, people miss, I admit, get this wrong. It's not biased like you, you, you want something to occur. It's just we all think the way we think. And therefore, certain things you hear other people say stand out to you accordingly. I have been wrong on every step of the Alex Smith story and thought for the, every minute of the way, he's never coming back. He's never going to get off the pup. He's never going to be act. He's not going to make the roster. He's not going to be active on game day. He's not going to play. He's not going to play well. All these right. things I got wrong. So I don't blame Ron Rivera, like you said, for thinking, no, this is not, this guy's not part of it. We're starting over here. Whether, you know, whatever Ron Rivera thought of Dwayne Haskins, it made more logical sense to at least go that direction than this 36 year old guy coming back from this impossible impossible injury um but simultaneously alex smith could absolutely feel the way he feels that they were in his way that he is trying to do this incredible comeback that only he knew what he could or couldn't do and you know i remember talking to urban meyer before the season started saying that he's never had a more com competitive player or a leader or anybody like that than than this guy scott McLuhan said similar things because he's the one that obviously drafted right. him all those years ago in san francisco so only only alex smith to some degree is going to know kind of within I guess the only thing that stood out was just again this guy says nothing he for the two you know the two previous years when he was a quarterback before the injury said nothing I used to skip his press conferences a lot when I didn't have to go out there all the time because I was like eh, right. <laughs> he's not gonna say anything I'm good he made Kirk Cousins sound like Charles Barkley right um, so he didn't say anything and then once he got hurt he disappeared he you know was doing his own thing and now he's talking a lot. Even Jason Wright thinks he's doing a lot of interviews. Sorry, Jason. I, 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 I kid. Uh, but uh, but yeah, just the way that he said anything, I was like, ooh. And, I, and it does make you wonder, I guess. It feels like the writing's on the wall that he's going to be gone. Is there any calculation? I guess we, we don't know. But that he maybe just said some of this to sort of get this going, that he recognizes that as well. Well, I mean, I think I think from a just a finances standpoint, a 37 year old quarterback is not going to make 24 million dollars you know particularly in in you know he he had um what was supposed to be a minor injury late in the season that prevented him from starting the playoff game i mean that was not supposed to play out that way and you have to figure that he is compromised not just by his age but by you know, the fact that he's playing with a titanium rod in his leg and that, um, that you, you know, he's not going to be able to recover so much of the NFL is rest, recover, and then play again. And if you can't do that in a seven day period, then you can't count that much against a, a, a team's cap. I would also point out that, um, in the same GQ piece, you know, it was essentially a Q and a with Alex, um, where he's kind of, you know, he gets his back up a little bit about, um, uh, the team not providing him an opportunity and not thinking he was going to be there and not giving him a, a shot at reps in, in training camp and all that kind of stuff. He admits quite frankly that he never thought he was going to be able to make it back. I mean, you know, he's, he's, he's not being compared with 
sports injuries. He's being compared with guys who stepped on mines in Iraq and stuff. So, uh, <laughs> so all of that is a reasonable um, assessment. But I, I do think the best path for him, if he's not going to be the backup here, is to, um, I mean, wouldn't he be, everybody raves about him in a quarterback room. Like, he'd be a great number two at a place that has a young quarterback because he can go in there and, and take some snaps um, and not hurt you and manage a game um, if your young guy goes down. But he, you know, everyone from Kaepernick to Mahomes to Haskins um, has to Heineke has raved about what Alex Smith is like in a quarterback. Yeah. You have to get yeah, 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 yeah. all these people. Uh, uh, yeah, I agree. I mean, look, Jacksonville is the obvious spot, right? He already has a relationship with Urban Meyer. They're probably drafting Trevor Lawrence. Perfect. I mean, you Perfect. can't get if you want to have Trevor Lawrence mentor, forget who your quarterback coach is, get Alex Smith, right? So it makes total sense and it would allow Alex Smith to keep going. Hell, it would even give Jacksonville even more publicity, and maybe they even could use some positive one after what just went with Urban Meyer, right? Just yes. kind of stepped in, um, down there. Here's something else I kind of thought interesting about this. So what's the immediate reaction when this happens? Now, some people maybe say, hey, Alex, you know, come on, man. They, they, they try to do you solid. What are you doing? Other people may have said, boy, I hear this franchise. I can't even, you know, they, they, the, the feel-good story of all time, even they're screwing this up. On that note, what I think is interesting is I get that that's the immediate reaction for people. You can't blame this one on Dan Snyder, though. If you're going to go down this path, I, I actually found it somewhat encouraging in a weird way that Alex Smith thought this because my assumption was, Remember, am I wrong on this? A year ago, there was all this thought about, is Alex Smith going to be the new GM? Right, that's like, right. That, like the, the, he and Dan said are such best friends that Alex Smith is going to be something prominent. And maybe that even means he has to play. If Alex Smith is saying there's some obstacle to this, that actually sounds to me like Dan Snyder really was letting Ron Rivera make that call, which I'm not saying it is, is surprising, but that's encouraging that it wasn't the opposite, that he's not saying Dan Snyder was thrusting uh, Alex Smith onto Ron Rivera and thus, you know, I think that's different. So it's interesting that people just want to blame Dan Snyder, which I get instinctively, but this is a Ron Rivera call. Dan Snyder would logically want his best friend with a good story to be out there. So I think every story that involves the football team is viewed, you know, as what it is on the surface. And then we start looking for what indications are there that this has anything to do with ownership or nothing to do with ownership? And, and, and Ron Rivera's entire tenure and any coach here's in tenure. I mean, go back to Mike Shanahan. He was supposed to be the football guy that, that um, walled off ownership after Jim Zorn was here and, and Snyder was having lunch with him every Friday to go over the, the game plan. Um, we see, uh, we see everything through that prism of, is this the owner's call or is it not the owner's call? So I think you make a really good point that um, if Ron Rivera was like not at all preparing for Alex Smith to have any role on his team, then that would be an indication that, that Dan Snyder wasn't, wasn't involved in, in that decision. Um, and I think there are more indications uh, of that across the board. I mean, if you look at um, Jason Wright, uh, you, you know, when, when the post did their stories, um, on, on all the sexual harassment in the environment um, created for women at the offices in Ashburn, um, Dan Snyder issued a statement through Adam Schefter that I was never able to find elsewhere. And the, the team issued a statement 
I assume through Jason Wright, that was markedly different and uh, really was a, very much like we cannot have a culture that is like this and we intend to change that um, and wasn't defiant in, in any way. So, so if you're keeping score and we're all keeping score, um, I think there are starting to be more notches on the ledger on the side of, hey, this isn't an ownership decision. This is, a, a, you know, it was delegated either to Rivera on the football side or right on the, on the kind of marketing business side. Yeah, I think that dual statement thing was a very important moment. And I've said before, to me, it was maybe the most interesting moment of the entire 2020 in terms of the future of this franchise. Does that dual separation continue or do they kind of go together? All right. That said, the timer is telling me we're up. So I'm going to, well, maybe we'll come back to the quarterback situation in a minute because I do want to get your thought about what would you do, but we'll, we'll go to topic number two. And this is one, this is why you have Barry on to ask these kinds of questions. Uh, People know I don't really talk about the Nats. The Orioles are my actual team. It's the one sport where I have fandom, except for my team is not trying, so I basically don't care about the sport anymore. Uh, that said, if we're going to talk about the Nats, look, there, I'm sure there are things more pertinent to this season that, that are interesting to fans, but I don't care. The, the only thing that matters to me is the Juan Soto situation. Are we going to have another Bryce Harper, Anthony Rendon, where they, good at, where they just leave? And I had this on my list even before you wrote this week that you mentioned Juan Soto in the context of uh, Fernando Tatis Jr.'s massive contract, but you also brought up Trey Turner, uh, the fact that he is another young star in this team that they shouldn't, (laughs) they shouldn't just let go. And uh, to, oh, this is, oh, here we go. So this is what you, a little bit of what you wrote. Well, so you, you, the article's about Turner, read that. I don't want to step on Barry's column, but what you wrote about uh, Soto essentially is this that a potential contract extension for Soto became a pertinent topic last week because of the 14 year, $340 million deal landed by one of his 22 year old peers, San Diego Padre shortstop Fernando Tatis Jr. From a global view, keeping Soto a national for life has to be something the Nats think about every day, even if he doesn't. I, absolutely. It shouldn't be a topic two and three years out, but how could it not be after what's already happened? So tell me what's put the, tell me what's going to happen here. Why, why should people, What's going to happen? Well, I mean, I think part of the reason it has to be a topic, um, even though Soto's not a free agent until 2025, is a lot of his peers, not just Tatis, but um, Ronald Acuna Jr. in in Atlanta uh, and others have signed um, extensions with their clubs uh, long before they're eligible for free agency. And so that takes away... Um, the drama for those teams, the Braves fans don't have to worry about who's going to be, you know, roaming the outfield for them, that their young star is there for, uh, for a while. Now that's a team friendly deal. And he signed it earlier than um, Soto's Soto's further along in his uh, career. Um, is, the Acuna, think, is the Acuna contract the textbook definition of a team friendly deal? Yeah, probably. <laughs> yes. And, and that's, it, it got to, I mean, Iwa Jimenez with the, the, uh, White Sox signed um, an extension before he even made um, his big league debut. So, so, and and those, the earlier you are in your career, the more you're you're changing cash for security. Like you're guarding against injury, you're guarding against not panning out, you're getting your hundred million dollars and not betting on yourself to get four hundred million dollars. A couple of things are concerning about Soto's situation. Uh, one. They had some talks last year, year in spring training. They did not get far. 
uh, an offer was made. I don't know the numbers, but it was, um, I know from the Soto side, easily dismissed. Um, what does that mean? Uh, and then he goes out and he has a great, you know, he leads the National League in a 60-game season in OPS and a bunch of other categories, and it and looks to be every bit as good as he's supposed to be. Um, but the other thing is that this franchise has dealt with this, as you said, with Bryce Harper and then with Anthony Rendon. Both are repped by Scott Boris. Juan Soto is repped by Scott Boris. Scott Boris doesn't do very many extensions prior to free agency for, for his players. Max Scherzer is a um, Scott Boris client who turned down a massive deal with the Tigers in spring training before his final year there, bet on himself and got seven years and $210 million from Washington. So it's very easy to see unless Soto goes to Boris and says, look, Scott, this is where I want to remain, uh, get a deal done. Um, it's easy to see a path where this plays out in a, in a similar fashion, um, which would be frustrating for Nationals fans, particularly if they don't get it done with Turner, because if both these guys walk, um, then you're looking at a franchise that has, since they came here in 2005, has only signed two of its homegrown players to extensions before free agency, Ryan Zimmerman and Steven Strasburg. So it would become even more in the ethos of the, of the club. So what's always interesting about these situations is this idea that um, why do these things happen? And people, for better or for worse, I know for years dealing with the Wizards, you know, people always wanted to blame Rudy Grunfeld for everything. And there's obviously some reason to that, but everybody has an has an has a boss and the boss sets the agenda maybe the agenda is that you can only spend this much money maybe the agenda is i want to win the i want to get to the world series immediately hey we're going to rebuild whatever the thing might be so you don't always know if when the moves are being made how much is it complete free reign and how much of it is within the criteria of what happened right uh you know I, i've been watching moneyball a lot during the pandemic <laughs> and obviously billy bean came up with the idea of to, to go in that direction in part because he didn't have any money to spend and he had to figure out ways to game the system. Now, Mike Rizzo has obviously done a really good job. They've won a world series fairly recently and they're, you know, in contention mostly every single year. So the question is, I guess, how much of this is like all these things happening, whether these guys have the left and maybe whatever happens going forward, do you think is ultimately on Mike Rizzo and how much is it ownership is saying, look, we're not spending X, so frame it however you want, but we're just not going to go there. So you have to figure out other ways to, to get around this. So I think there's complicated answers here. I mean, if I'm going to sign, if, if, if we're blaming the Air team. Air on blaming from Barry. Well, yeah, for, for these guys leaving. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think, I think the fan base ultimately is more upset about Rendon leaving than, than Bryce. Rendon right now is a better player than Harper. Harper's the more, has more height. But if you look at the construction of the current roster and you put Anthony Rendon at third base, like they are a way, way, way better team. If you, right. And I'm a huge Harper supporter and I think he's going to have a great career. Um, but that's not, that, that's not what they're missing now. A corner outfielder. Um, they're missing a, a third, third baseman. I put, I assign the quote blame more, much more to ownership than to Rizzo. Those, these, Scott Boris will say, contracts of this magnitude are ownership decisions. And that, that is true. Um, now, Rizzo's job in managing up is to say, I think that Bryce Harper is a $30 million a year 
player. That is my advice to you. Um, if you are willing to do 10 years for $300 million or whatever, like, I think that's a fair deal. deal. Um, the other thing that uh, I put on ownership and the Lerner family is their obsession with kicking money down the road in these long contracts because they know um, if we are paying you seven years and $210 million like Scherzer got, but in a given year, I mean, there are sure there are years in Scherzer's contracts where he is getting $0 in, in that year, even though it's, it counts toward the luxury taxes, 30 million. Um, and they take that money, pay it to max later, and they invest it in real time and are able to make more money on the, on, so it works out better for them. And they've become their, their offers are structured that way almost invariably. So um, because Rizzo has to take those offers with that structure to clients it, um, or to potential players, uh, he's, he can be hindered um, in, in that regard. So that's a lot of like financial semantics, but, but it matters when the, when the offers are, are issued. Yeah, that differential yeah. money, I always sort of, I mean, I can't balance my own checkbook, so it's not Thank for you. me to discuss uh, what people do with their money, but like, it always feels like if the goal is to win a, a title, then the things that they do don't seem to go align um, align with uh, with that. Um, speaking of winning a title uh, for this year's team, again, I'm not paying a ton of attention. Yeah, but I did look. Uh, you know, I've been known to, to to drop a wager at times. The over under for them is 83 and a half. Now I know in baseball you can't have every team winning 90 games, but I would have imagined a couple of years ago they were in the 90 range. I think the Braves were at 91. So 83 and a half. You're basically saying they're just more or less a 500 team. What, what what are the aspirations realistically for this team this year? Well, so, I mean, I think it's interesting. The NL East is probably the only division in which every team is trying to win, which is, um, you know, as you said, your your Orioles are, that's not where they're at now, the NL East. And I went back and looked at the, the Nationals have been in the postseason five times since 2012. Um, in each year, they went 13 and six, 14 and five or 15 and four against at least one of their divisional opponents. That's like 111 win pace at 13 and six. Um, so the a, a formula for winning a division championship or getting to the postseason is beat up on the lousy teams in your division. There aren't really any lousy teams in, in this division. Um, and that's going to make it difficult. The Mets are very much trying and are a transport team. The Marlins, who you could always count on beating up, uh, made the playoffs last year and have a lot of good young arms. The thing I worry about with this Nationals team is it's built on starting pitching. That is Mike Rizzo's standby uh, with starting pitching. Um, anything is possible. Without it, nothing is possible. Um, but it's also what I think is going to be a lousy defensive team. And, and that could – that doesn't really mesh if if Max Scherzer is laboring in the in the sixth inning at 99 pitches and a ball falls in front of Carlos Kyle Schwarber and left or Josh Bell can't pick one out of the dirt um, at first uh, and all of a sudden Max is now at 112 pitches and another run scores like I, it's not maybe not just the errors but it's the kind of entire team defense I. I I think is a minus, not a, not a plus that that's my concern. And I think that's, that's where that 83 and a half number, even though I still would probably bet the over, um, I think that's figures into why that that's the number. 
Uh, I, I'm glad I was at least aware that Kyle Schwarber is on the Nationals because when you first said that, I was like, Kyle Schwarber. I was like, oh, that's right. There, she's got that guy. It's yeah, it's yeah, yeah. Bizarro world. Uh, the, the people. I, I also because I, I I used to go out to 25 games or so a year. Now I don't, and uh, <laughs> to remind myself who's on that team. All right, the timer says we, we're moving on. So okay. we're on to topic three here on the Standard Room Only podcast with Barry's Reluga from the Washington Post. We're going to get to a completely weird, random one here. These aren't, you know, we started fairly conventional. Now we're going to get a little bit off uh, weird. Uh, maybe we'll even go over 10 minutes on this one. We'll see. The question is this. You get to fix any one thing sports-related in town. Uh, it could be a team. It could be a player. It could be uh, uh, something about the media, a stadium, press box food, uh, whatever it is. Big, small, I don't care. Uh, I'll, let, I'll let you go first. What, what's the one thing that you would fix in this town? So I don't know what you're going to say, but it's it's possible we would come up with the same thing. I, I would move the football team to the RFK site and and build a state of the art, um, privately funded uh, um, stadium there. I, I just think, to me, I, mean, all, I didn't grow up here. You grew up here. Yeah. All my friends who grew up here, um, you know, they they want their kids to experience what they experienced when they were kids in going out to that place that's in the district of Columbia, that is very accessible to both Maryland and Virginia. Um, that, you know, the stands bounced and, and just the romance that is tied up in that site and that place. And, and, and then the, the kind of, Delta X between that and what they experience and trying to drag their kids out to, to FedEx and, and not having a good time and not liking the traffic and thinking it's, you know, um, just, just the whole experience is bad. I, I think there is a, a practical um, nature to it that would uplift the entire fan base um, and, and, and just a romantic nature uh, to it too, because that's where, that was their home when they won the three Super Bowls, and this whole franchise's kind of um, identity is in those three. Oh, we've got those three trophies. Well, the three trophies were, you know, thirty years ago, uh, the most recent, um, or twenty-nine years ago. Um, but getting back to that site would be huge. Yeah, I agree. It's, a, it's very much a win-win across the board uh, because, obviously, like you said, there's the romance to it. I, obviously, I think it would, in theory, help. DC, the way, I don't know if it would help in the same way that uh, the the uh, Capital One Arena helped Chinatown or Nats Park uh, help the Navy Yard area, but I think there's obviously hope that that would happen, and I do think those things matter. But also, yeah, I mean, look, uh, I, I don't know if, if you were here when the when the Capital Center was around, but parking yeah. sucked and traffic sucked then for a stadium it was twenty thousand people. Then they took one five times that, four times that, put it in the same spot, yes. and wondered why things would be problematic and then not even that like it was immediate the second it was erected immediately it felt like this is a very generic stadium at a point where you know my favorite place on earth is Camden Yards uh and that's just great and now you see these other you know modern stadiums that come out and and you know they'll look like they're like spaceships uh it, it, it's not competing on any level on that front so I think put it all together it moves you mentioned the important word I think private finance privately financed yeah I'm over cities paying for these things uh, unless they just have absolutely way more control and, 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 and get more of the revenue than typically is happening. So I'm right. I think that's, that's important. 
Um, and look, whatever you want to say about Dan Snyder and however they got to this point, they did change the name. That seemed to be the biggest impediment. So, you know, I'm not saying you have to give him credit per se, but okay, they, he, that's now happened uh, on the assumption that whatever the new name is, is not going to be something that's uh, politically charged. We can move forward on that front. And I do, I, I, that, that was for me as well. Uh, number one on my list on, okay. on, on the guests that that may happen. I listed <laughs> like 20 other ones. So I'm just going to rattle them off and use, use, use my time in that way and feel free to. Uh, okay. And these are just completely whatever. Uh, this one is a shout out to everybody who's listening to this. Cause I'm sure for some people, the first thought was you want Dan Snyder out as an owner. I'm just going to get, I'm just going to give that to you people because I, I get, I know that's what people said. Uh, the Wizards broadcast is killing me. Uh, just gonna leave. That's it a good that. one. Just gonna leave it at that. Bring uh, back, yeah. Okay, yeah. I'll say bring back Buck and Phil. Right. Uh, at, at a minimum, we can just say that, and I'll be nice and move on to to the rest of it. <laughs> uh, the, the Washington football team needs a quarterback. They need it for themselves, and also we all need it to. Get, they need we need that to happen to move forward. It's been for. I mean, we've been talking about this topic forever at this point. Get somebody we don't have to focus on every other year uh, as a change there. Uh, to, to bring this into your world, uh, make Dan Steinberg write a weekly column. Oh, twice a week. <laughs> well, I mean, gotta, I, I, I figured twice a week his head might explode. Just once a week, do whatever you want. Get, get back out there. That'd be good. Uh, uh, I did his podcast yesterday, so I say put Al Galdi back on uh, 980. Yes, that's a good one. Uh, Georgetown basketball, two things. One, freshmen got to talk day one this is a ridiculously antiquated policy that makes no sense and if you want to bring in a five-star recruit who's leaving as a one and done that guy wants to talk Fix sure. that policy also this one's more complicated but we're we're fixing things they need an on-campus arena for like eight thousand people it can't work under the current road structure so somebody has to go in there and fix the road structure so we can have cars come in maybe put a metro stop near there this needs to happen because when we get back to the real world, Georgetown's not, and it's 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 too small at this point for that for Capital One Arena. It's, it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't work anymore. They're not relevant, and I also think I think there's a problem with Metro getting underneath Georgetown. Isn't the structure of Georgetown like? Isn't that why there's no Metro there? Like the, the houses would all, all fall into the into the Metro. I thought that was the deal. Maybe okay. I, I think th- I suppose that years ago the issue was that the people of Georgetown voted against it because they didn't want effectively the rift raft coming to yeah, town. Yeah. What, but what they didn't recognize was that they would just sort of bypass that part of town. And I kind of, I mean, the Street used to be a much bigger deal than it is now. Of for course, sure. I'm now old, so maybe I'm wrong, but I, I don't feel like it's the same way for the 20 somethings the way it was Agreed. Uh, when I was growing up. Uh, okay. What else on this list? The wizards, they, they need a direction. What are they doing? I'm not even just talking about Bradley Beal. What, what, what they need a direction, the coaching, the front office, Ted Leontis, Pick a real direction. Not he lurches too much for my taste. Now this is more ridiculous just for the media. Take the nat, take the press box food situation at Nats Park, and hood and take it to FedEx Field where I am the most, or at least copy it. It's a much it's better- pretty easy. It's not fancy. I mean, just have a grill, somebody flipping burgers, making chicken tenders, uh, and have a salad bar, and you're fine, right? Right. I mean, yeah, the the, the FedEx Field. It actually wasn't terrible this year. They went box lunch because of the the whole pandemic, but like it's very much mystery meat situation and it's not, it's an, you have to bring, you have to prepare to bring your own or you're, you're trapped again. Nobody cares, but this is important for me. Uh, <laughs> parking. Okay. The gray lot. I, you, I don't know what you have to deal. Gray lot at FedEx field is a disaster it, it, for anybody who's parked there. It's at the bottom of a hill. You got to walk all the way up and I'm not to sound like the laziest person on the planet, which I'm qualified to be. Uh, 
uphill. You were wearing a suit. You're carrying crap. That the walk sucks. And at at Ashburn, it's better. But like we we should be able to park inside the gate, not outside the gate when it's cold and rainy in a field. Yeah, in a field. A field rutted, rutted with tires. You know, tire rut marks and all that kind of stuff. It's not. It's not great. Yeah. Uh, podcast guests for me beyond getting somebody like Barry, I got Scott Van Pelt, Sugar Ray Leonard, Leontis and Snyder, McConaughey, Rachel Nichols. That, that, that again, this is this is the part just for me. Uh, I don't know if you care about the city open. They, they got to get Nadal, Djokovic, Federer, or Serena one time here. Pick one. Somebody needs to show up because it, it's a fun event. They don't get it. No, the, the, the big people always skip it. Well, I, do, I it's a super fun event, and I do think. With Mark Ein behind it, um, it's got a little. It, ha- it feels a little more vibrant uh, now. Um, but yes, if, if people haven't. I've only gone a couple of times, but if people haven't gone, they should go. It's a it's a really fun event. Uh, on the media front, uh, the, the 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 we there's been so many changes in local media, particularly TV and radio, that it's goes so far towards the casual fan and not enough towards people who actually care about sports. Like, so like I actually do programming for these types of things. And one example, like on NBC sports, Washington, back in the day, there was a show called Washington post live, right. Yeah. Uh, which was like the, the, you know, the sports reporters thing you had on ESPN with qualified people talking about the teams. It's not that complicated. Where's that show anymore? It doesn't exist except for things like podcasts and, you know, it, they need that. I mean, JP could sit down and host one of those things with, Three or four of us. I mean, it wouldn't have to be post people. It could be athletic people. You know, just the, the sports reporter's model, I think, is a is a good one. A hundred, hundred percent. There won't be a lot of Capitals talking here, but the Capitals, you've got maybe, what, two years left of Ovechkin at his peak, peak of his power still? Go get a goalie. I don't know enough to know, but in talking to people, get it, they got to go get a real goalie. Take it, I mean, you got to take advantage of Ovechkin. This is like a... A no-brainer. I mean, their 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 projected number one goalie has been on the COVID list for like uh, the entire season. So um, I I think they may have him in house, but we'll we'll see. And that's as deep as we'll go on. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, again, this is self-serving. The, uh, the the athletic on the radio. Like I I want I want to be on the radio specifically. I'd like to talk, but also like I want to get Britt Giroli on the radio locally. She's really good and she does national stuff. But like I think people locally need to know. Um, and then I had if we're gonna keep FedEx stadium whatever it's got to be modernized but also they got to put a put a metro somewhere closer Closer. because the current situation is is not good enough but ultimately to go back to your original point to skip it all and we're just going to build the new stadium on their rfk site rfk is coming down uh this when is it coming down it's coming down soon i i I, at some point during the pandemic when i just wanted to get out of my house like the first three or four months i had didn't didn't do anything i drove over there just to look at wow it is so dilapidated my god it looks it's an eyesore (laughs) it's really it's really uh it's really bad um so any of those if we had a number two anything on that list that you would uh well endorse the snyder thing is is it maybe even is more important than what i what i chose i just i kind of feel like it's such a pipe dream that um that maybe i i blocked blocked it out but that would you know, what could this franchise be um, under different ownership? I mean, that that's that's a question maybe I hope someday we get to answer. Um, so we'll see. We will. We will see. All right. The timer said we got to go to the new topic. Okay. Uh, I, I, I talk about college basketball occasionally here and there, mostly Georgetown. But honestly, I don't really talk about it a ton. Now, partly for the Georgetown specific reason is they're not good. 
but also, man, I just don't care about this sport anymore. And like it, growing up, like when people would say like, what's your favorite sport? Honestly, it was like the, my combat answer was whatever the season is. Cause mm-hmm. I could equally be in love with the NFL when it was in the fall, uh, uh, basketball, you know, co- you know, in, in, in NBA, yeah, NBA. When we get especially towards the playoffs in the summer, I mean, I, I love love baseball and so on and so on. College basketball might have been my actual answer. I mean, one shining moment. I'll still put that on iTunes when I need some motivation. Uh, I've been to three Final Fours as a fan, um, you know. And look, I, nobody told me it's my one weird sports fan thing, and nobody told me growing up here I couldn't root for Georgetown and Maryland. <laughs> they never played, <laughs> so I kind of did. Um, and it's like weird, like covering, like I air covering Georgia and air quotes because of Patrick Ewing, who was like you know, one of my favorite athletes growing up. I, I this sport to me though is so fallen. Oh my God. I, I don't care. I don't know who anybody is anymore. And it, it, this is a weird year in college basketball specifically because all the usual heavyweights are for the most part are having lousy years. But it's not even just about this year specifically. The sport as a whole, I think, has really fallen off both locally and nationally. I I'll I don't I'll give me my two basic reasons on the national front the one and done thing i just think is just murdered the sport we don't know who anybody is anymore and we put so much emphasis on these guys who leave we were lucky as a fan of a sport that zion williamson existed but it was almost more to me symptomatic of the problem one guy was the whole sport once he left like i don't know if they've been even close to replacing it and you know when he didn't make the when duke didn't make the final four that year that it felt even like it was like was this a real event because that was the whole sport and on the local front maryland moving to the big 10 and georgetown just not being good i just think both of those things have you know took away the rivalries with duke and carolina and on the georgetown front the big east just isn't as sexy as it was anyway because you lost some of the bigger teams that you that they had but then georgetown just hasn't been that good and it's been a while now it's like five or six years they haven't been very good so those would be some of my thoughts on college basketball. I know you're a big fan, so where where are you at? Maybe I don't know actually what your take is. Where, where are you at with the sport? Well, so I, I mean, very small iterations away from where you are. I mean, I, I I don't. When I was growing up, my I think I would definitely say my favorite sport was college basketball. Um, my like graduation gift from high school was a trip to the final four um from my dad because like that was like a bucket list thing and like i would maybe never get to go again and i essentially chose my college because they had a good basketball team um over other places i might have gone uh and i thought i might want to you know cover them and be around big time um college basketball um when i got into sports writing my goal was to cover college basketball and i i did that in in raleigh covering Carolina for three or four years. Um, and then when I was hired at the post, I was hired to cover Maryland basketball and, and football. That was what I wanted to do. I wanted to cover the ACC. It was my favorite sport. The arenas were awesome. The rivalries were great. The teams were, you know, and that when I got here, it was at the end of um, right after Gary won the title at Maryland. He did that with a team that had Juan Dixon for four years and Steve Blake, the, the, um, you know, it was a year behind, but he stayed for four years. And it was a big deal that Chris Wilcox left early. And, um, uh, but you got to, I mean, one of my classmates at Duke was Bobby Hurley. He played 3000 college basketball games and everybody, you know, he, he developed, he had a career arc that everybody nationally, whether you hated Duke or you loved Duke, you were familiar with that arc of his career. 
a, a career arc in college basketball now is 30 games. You, you are rooting for more than ever the jersey and not even getting familiar with the, the um, person who's, who's wearing it. And, and there's not enough time for, um, and even at Maryland, which hasn't had a ton of success in, in the Big Ten, even though they won, shared the title, regular season title last year, like there's way more Jalen Smiths who you see over two years than there are Anthony Callens who you got to enjoy and see that relationship that was kind of contentious with Purgeon for a while. And, and on senior night, it's not just two walk-ons because there's the only one who stayed, but it's a guy who played, who started 130 straight games and you knew, you knew his struggles, you knew his highs. That matters. Like it, it's the same. It goes back to the, to the Nats discussion. Like you're emotionally invested in these people and you're financially invested if you go to games and you buy jerseys and all that stuff. Um, you don't want to buy the jersey of a guy who, who, you know, like Kyrie Irving, Duke claims Kyrie Irving. He played like 12 games for Duke because he got hurt and then left. Like that's not a Duke player. That's just the guy who like drifted through campus. So um, I think we have a lot of the same. I used to have such a huge passion for it. And, and I'll watch these games in March and I'll cover a lot of these games, but it's, it's, it's different and it's flawed. And, and I don't, I just don't watch as much and I don't care as much as I used to. And you mentioned it's like the old Seinfeld joke that like sports, you're really just rooting for against laundry. Right. Um, in college basketball, though, like the only thing that sort of saves it now are these old coaches, Krzyzewski, Roy Williams, Jim Beheim, Kyle Paris and guys like that. Like, I mean, who knows how long these guys are going to hang on? I mean, you would have on some level. I mean, Beheim, I thought, was going to retire 16 times by now. Um, and once they're gone, it's going to happen eventually here. Then where are we at? Now, that's more of an issue maybe for, you know, guys who are on our age or, 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 or older than it is for a 20-year-old who may think that this conversation we're having right now makes no sense. They may be completely in love with, I, I would like to say right now, insert name of the best players in the country. Can't do it. I know Cade Cunningham is a thing because the, the Wizards, uh, you know, could potentially be in the lottery for for, uh, for a guy like that. But, like, the sport is, is, is just so frustrating. And the one and done thing is tough because, you know, when you talk about like this idea of like, well, people should be allowed to pursue their professional careers at whatever age and what legal aspects we're into and things like that. And I guess I always wonder whatever job like I've applied for, like there are some qualifications you have to have had this much experience. You have to do these things. I guess I don't understand why it can't be the same way. Why couldn't the NBA say you must, I mean, why do people have an issue with the NBA if they wanted to saying you must be, maybe saying age is wrong because maybe there's some issue with that, but like you must have this level of experience at this type of level, why that would be an issue. Because if they did dial it back, you have to play two years. I think that would solve everybody's problems, except for the fact that the the individuals involved can't then maybe do what they want. Exactly. If I'm being selfish, that's what I would want. Make it that you have to stay in school for two years or something else. I I like, the baseball model, which is three years. Like if you go to Clemson to play baseball or LSU to play baseball, uh, you know, these guys are, you know, the baseball draft is, is built around, um, you know, a team is not going to take a high school player at a high round unless they think he's signable. Like he's not going to go to North Carolina or whatever. Um, Cause then once you're in, you're, you're in. And that is, and then they're, they all leave after the, the, anyone who's a high level prospect all leaves after their junior year and no one blinks an eye because they, 
they've got a foundation, they've, they've improved, they've matured physically. I think one thing about the NBA is, um, you know, the draft has become not about the finished product, but about what the guy can become. And that's, so you're, you're extrapolating uh, a lot. I mean, Kwame Brown, go back to that pick. It was like, not really about 18 year old Kwame Brown, but it was going to be projecting what 22 year old Kwame Brown uh, was going to be. I, I don't have any, I think if college basketball has been hurt by the one and done, and therefore um, they have to figure out a way to, as you said, to keep them there longer. And I don't think the NBA would be hurt by the best players, the Kobe Bryant and Kevin Garnett's of the world to enter right out of high school and, and, and grow up in, in the league as long as they have the right support structure. And we mentioned Tre- Trevor Lawrence earlier. Trevor Lawrence won a national title as a freshman. At that point, he was already considered to be the guy that everybody was going to want, but they, everybody knew they were going to have to wait two more years. Now, again, I understand the people who will say, well, why shouldn't Trevor Lawrence be able to cash out? What if things have gone wrong for him? What if he gets hurt? Maybe he doesn't play as well. He lost out on this opportunity um, and all that. I get that to a degree, but in terms of fixing the sport, which is what we're talking about, so ignoring individuals on some level, why can't you have that model? I'm sure people kind of look at football and think, well, they're not physically ready at that age to play with these men, and that's fine. But on basketball, these guys aren't ready either, not necessarily physically maybe, but they're not mature enough to handle it. And honestly, their skills are just not that good. You see these guys come in and, like, it trickles into the NBA. I think the NBA product is getting worse because now these guys are – more and more raw players are coming into the league. It used to be before the guys who came out were – the Kobe Bryant's, the LeBron James. Yes, there were always some guys who shouldn't have come out, but like, I think the percentage of guys who came out and succeeded was was greater than now. Now anybody comes out and right. it dilutes the product and it forces bad NBA teams to have to rely on a kid who isn't ready. They could be if they adapted this other model, like you're saying, where they actually have to stay a bit. Right, absolutely. And one, one other thing about like Trevor Lawrence at, at Clemson, and this gets into something that some people might think super dry, but I feel really strongly about is um, if that's the structure and he has to stay in college for three years, he needs to be able to make money off the jerseys that his school sells with his number on it. And and just let's strip away this farce that these guys are not pros and so that the scholarship is enough to reward them because it's not. Dabo Sweeney makes nine and a half million dollars a year. There is enough money in the system to pay these guys for name, image, and likeness uh, rights. So that's my soapbox issue on, on flaws with college sports. <laughs> there are there are many flaws with college sports. That's definitely one of them for sure. All right, the timer, we're, 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 we're relatively on track. I've been trying to follow the timer. The timer says we're moving on. Uh, this is a topic, I, I, maybe I'm arguing, I'm shoehorning this in, but not exactly. This person did have ties to this area because of a local PGA event and which I will maybe ask about at the end of this, but obviously Tiger Woods is in the news for all kinds of terrible reasons. He uh, was in a really bad one car car accident um, this week. Um, he's had to have surgery. I mean, just kind of looking up some things a little bit, uh, I, had, I guess he had multiple surgeries, you know, the, his legs injured to such a degree that in the article I was reading, they were comparing it on some level to Alex Smith. And, you know, we don't know exactly where this will go. Just like with Alex Smith, it wasn't until after post-surgery that, an infection kicked in and things really went uh, a dark way for him. So we don't know where this is going, but obviously, you know, obviously the uh, wish the best for Tiger Woods, just the person. And then from the sports perspective, it's like, wow, you know, there are people that we talk about all the time in reverential terms. 
right now, if you had to like take a snapshot of who are the most important people in this country in, in sports or media or, 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 or Hollywood or politics, we have an idea. But if you, if you pull it back, uh, like a Google map thing, like you, you're focused right now on the city street, but you pull it back more and you pull it back more and you get to the point where who are we talking about in 50 years? There's probably like 10 people. Tiger Woods is one of these people. He is a walking statue, basically, when he is out there and doing his thing. It is, every time he's out there, history could literally be made because it's adding to something. Um, and now to see this, we don't know. Obviously, there's more important things than whether he ever plays again. But regardless, that is a topic. And so you obviously cover the sport. I assume you know him to some degree. So I'm curious, obviously, your thoughts as to kind of everything what's happening with Tiger Woods this week. Well, I, I, so what I wrote this morning uh, or yesterday for for this morning's print edition was, um, you know, we're clearly closer to a golf world that is post tiger than a prime tiger and, and no figure in an American sport means more to that sport than tiger means to golf. Tom Brady is probably the biggest NFL star and him winning a super bowl was with Tampa was an amazing story. Tom Brady will retire and the NFL is going to charge right ahead. LeBron James is the seminal figure in the NBA right now. Um, he took over from Michael Jordan, who took over from Larry Bird and Magic Johnson. Uh, there will be another iconic basketball player. Tiger Woods um, created a binary world in golf where your tournament on a given week either had Tiger or it didn't, and everything flew from flowed from that one fact. Like, your TV ratings were up if he was in the field. Um, if they were down, if he was not. Your ticket, your gate was higher if he was there. I mean, you go if you went to Tiger's tournament at Congressional, where it usually was, or even if it was at Avenel across across the street, um, you look out at a golf course and you know where Tiger is because the gallery is this giant like herd where he is, and it's thin where other people are. Now, maybe Phil gets a, a little bit of a, a buzz or Roy McIlroy or something like that, but he is so, the distance between his stardom and the person who at a given moment is number two stardom in golf, the golf there is greater than it is in, in any sport. Um, and so it's just gonna be interesting whether this accident ends his playing career or not. Um, it will be interesting to see what the sport looks like uh, on the other side of Tiger's career because it, it has relied so heavily on him um, for more than a quarter of a century. Um, I assume you watched the Tiger documentary on HBO? So I didn't. I haven't. I don't oh. have HBO. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, well, so it was interesting. I'm, you know, it was, uh, I don't think it was as good to say the Jordan Right situation on ESPN, but but it was pretty good. It told all the you know stuff, and, and you know maybe it was a little sensational at times with the the way it brought Rachel Yucatel in and some of that. But okay, but I, under a normal podcast, maybe I'll maybe I'll spring this on you. I, I didn't tell you before, but like one of the things I typically do is to try to get to know people is like ask some random questions, and one of the questions is like, who's your all time favorite athlete? And uh, whenever for I'm answering it, I'm like, it always I always goes back to the local people: Eddie Murray, John Riggins, maybe Patrick right. Ewing, something like that watching the tiger woods do documentary and like like i remember you know I, I couldn't name any other amateur golfers that i was watching but i was aware of tiger woods even when he was at an amateur level and right. it isn't just that he won it's the way that he won the drama the drama the flair the comebacks 
you know, I mean, we always talk about who's the next Michael Jordan. It's not LeBron. It's not Kobe. It's Tiger Woods. The, the, the way he went about something, he may be, in terms of being like, a, 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 maybe I wasn't as emotionally, he's emotionally he wasn't my favorite player because I do think it's different on the team level than that. But in terms of watching somebody do their thing, I don't know if I've enjoyed any athlete as much as watching uh, Tiger Woods over the years. Yeah, and so I would answer that in two with two kind of anecdotes. Like, my, um, I covered the Nationals as a beat writer when they first came to town, and Frank Robinson was the manager. And Frank liked to play golf, and um, and he liked to watch golf, and he particularly liked to watch golf when Tiger was playing. So if it was at spring training, he'd have we'd come in to talk to him after workout or game or whatever. He'd have the golf on and he would just be locked in on tiger um, to the point where like he would pay attention to our questions. If tiger was like on this, on the screen. And that would, that was true on Sundays. Um, you know, if they'd play an afternoon game, the golf would be on uh, during the regular season and he'd have um, tiger on, on his team TV. And I, I always thought like, you know, Frank Robinson, when he was first manager here, he was the fourth, he was fourth on the home run. Like this guy is an all-time great. And that athletic respect from a Hall of Fame athlete for what Tiger was doing, I just was like, I mean, that's game respecting game, right? Like right, I'm, right. At, at the highest level. I just found that fascinating. The other thing about Tiger is like, you know, there was that feeling this is kind of pre-scandal that um, he always was going to get it done and he was going to do the unexpected. And he's, you knew the putt at the 2008 U.S. Open on the 72nd hole uh, was going to go in at Torrey Pines to force the playoff with Rocco Mediate, even when he was playing on a, a broken leg. I mean, Dan Hicks's call was something like, did you expect anything less or something like that? No, you expected him to do it. So I first met Tiger, I took the golf beat at the post in 2009. It was pre-accident. And I had a sit down with him at, at Congressional and his PR woman with his foundation was like, Barry, I'm not gonna try to pronounce your last name. Uh, you know, I, it, I'm not gonna do it. You tell Tiger how to pronounce your last name. And I, I put a business card across the table. We were in a conference room at Congressional and Tiger picked it up and was like, Sverluga. And I was like, I texted my brother afterwards and he was like, I was like, there's nothing this dude, no one can pronounce our last name. Tiger Wood looks at a business card the first time and it's like, boom, I got, I, I nailed it. And was like, let's, let's do the interview. So there was just this, this, he's always had this aura and he finished it with the 2019 masters that anything's possible. Yeah, no, that, that, that's, uh, that, that, that's hilarious. By the way, like, obviously, you know, in, in the, in the, broader context of golf the question is you know who's the best golfer of all time jack nichols tiger woods uh, you know no disrespect to bobby jones or right uh, ben hogan or everybody else uh and people typically focus on the number of majors right we, we deal with this in tennis all the time too which is uh, you know we can debate same thing with the nba rings and we can debate where, where, where that fits in but we're, we're typically focusing on majors uh, tiger woods right now he is tied so we know he's second in majors to Jack Nichols, but he's actually tied with Sam Seed for the most individual PGA Tour wins. PGA yeah. Tour wins, like uh, again, that's kind of you know, again, there's more important things going on with him right now, but like that's something he, right there. He's tied one more. You think he'd probably get one more somewhere in the next five years? Otherwise, the the other thing I couldn't believe when I saw that when I was looking this up, 
the European tour, a completely separate event. Now, granted, most of those guys are playing a lot over here, but your, your Nick Faldo's, your Seve Ballesteros, like everybody you've ever heard of, they're playing over there primarily a lot, if not primarily. Tiger Woods is third on that tour. With, That's right. With 41. That's insane. <laughs> like, so some of those, some of those count like both? the PGA tour uh, and the European tour, these world golf uh, events count on both. So okay. it's not like he's, you can't add 41 to 82 and have it be a hundred and, you know, uh, 13 or whatever. I, I did that math already. I'm, I'm, yes. uh, <laughs> so, so anyway, but um, the thing, the thing uh, um, about, you know, he's, he's won those 82 um, PGA tour events against fields that were so much deeper than Snead had nothing against Sam Snead, who I never saw play, but like the, the game has risen just like all sports have risen. More people are better at it. More people, the, the fields in golf are deeper. Tiger had to be um, a higher level of talent more often. And then the, you know, I always like think about the back of the baseball card things like um like you look at some of Barry Bonds's like statistics on the back of his baseball. It's like, oh, he had a he had a fourteen hundred OPS. What are you talking about? Like, um, there are there are seasons with Tiger where it's like he made eighteen starts and he had eleven wins. Like that, it's just it's like not that's not how golf works. It's not like it's not an either or win or lose situation. There's a winner and one hundred and fifty five losers. Like, um, so it's just he's he's insane. There was a point at the peak of his powers when I mentioned I was a little into the gambling dark arts. Right. Betting on any one golfer to win any event is stupid. With him, it felt like a sound investment. I've got a reasonable shot every week. He's that's going right. to win. And like, that's impossible in that sport. But there was a point where absolutely he was that guy. I wouldn't say that now about Brooks Kepka or, or no Val or any of those, none of them. Tiger Woods was an absolutely uh, reasonable bet. Um, the, the timer went off, but I do just have, I guess, okay. one question. Whenever the world gets back to normal, what is – I know the PGA Tour event here locally, which I have gone to in various iterations, doesn't exist. I was at the 2018 Tiger event at Avenel and followed him around and all that. But, like, what uh, – I don't know. Any hope that that's going to get back here anytime There's soon? not – I mean, they, it's not until – I mean, it's all tied up in, like, PGA Tour TV deals and, and commitments they have to other places and a very packed golf calendar. We do have some prospects for very good um, golf here locally. The Wells Fargo Championship is going to be here next year because um, – Quail Hollow in Charlotte is hosting the PGA, so we'll get uh, we'll get a PGA well, one time a one-off PGA Tour event that usually draws a great field at um, Avenel uh, out there in Potomac, and um, and then Congressional is linked up with the PGA of America um, is going to have a uh, PGA Championship um, and actually a Ryder Cup in I think it's like 2032 or something, but um, so I mean. I will be, you know, walking with a cane covering that thing. Uh, but there's, there's people like this as a golf market. The Tiger people liked it as a golf market, and and Tiger's accident uh, and and the you know revolution revelations about his personal life um, have as much to do with golf not being here anymore because it made it a lot easier for the congressional membership to grow tired of him. He was tainted. Um, and it's really an inconvenience to the membership who's playing a lot of money to, to be there uh, to give up their course for, you know, annually at a, at a prime time. So 
um, more than he wanted to hear probably. <laughs> no, no, you know what? And thinking about this, like one of the things maybe to add to the list of things to fix, you know, Avenel was supposed to be this, uh, you know, I mean, they built it specifically, the PGA Tour built it specifically to host an event. And, you know, from day one, Greg Norman wanting to blow up the ninth hole, I think it immediately was was considered to be a, a, a lesser than course. And if they could fix that, then maybe they don't have to rely on the congressional membership to have this thing. I don't know. I mean, it's easy for me. It to is do. better. It's, I mean, they redo, they did. The players liked it better. The thing that it's, it's also very hard. Um, I mean, there's this delicate line on PGA tour, like during a regular week, these guys are of the mind. We want to make birdies. Fans want to see birdies. Every week is not the U S open. Let's come on. Like we're supposed to be the best and and we don't want to be grinding out here. Places like congressional and even Avenal now um, can, can grind on players and, and, and guys make choices about schedule based on things like that. Uh, for, for sure. Um, all right, we're down to the last topic here. Um, and so here is another, another random one. Again, we're talking with Barry's really good with the Washington Post. Uh, I, I imagine Alex Ovechkin is not going anywhere anytime soon, but we have to, we're going to remove Alex Ovechkin from the equation because if we ask the question of who is the most popular athlete in town, I think he pretty much wins in, in a landslide. So let's imagine a world where he's tomorrow. He announces he's uh, you know, He's leaving. He's going to go open up his own uh, pizzeria back in Moscow. I don't know whatever he's going to go do. He's he's out. Who's the who takes over the mantle, if not immediately soon thereafter, as the most popular athlete in town? Um, I'll just go through some obvious candidates. You got? Well, oh, go ahead. I mean, I have two candidates that I think are separate from the pack. Um, I think it's Chase Young and Juan Soto. Or my and I think it. I my instinct is it's. It's Chase Young. Um, is that what, what you are you there or no? Yeah, I mean, I think I I think so. I mean, like just to name some of those, I mean, like Bradley Beal right now, on uh, NBA All Star starter, leading league in scoring. He is as re- he's other than like LeBron, Steph Curry, and Durant, kind of. He's the most relevant player in the NBA because everybody talks about him about trades. But the Wizards are clearly the fourth team in this market, and he's not the most charismatic guy. Like John Wall had more pizzazz that's why I think people he also came first but like there's just more fun with his game Beal Axad um you know Elena Deladon obviously mm-hmm. the Mystics pre-pandemic had just won the title and you know female athletes in the country she's you know right up there very prominent yeah. yeah very prominent I think on the caps I checked with Tarek El-Bashir on this like he's like nah there really isn't anybody that you would like automatically throw in there John Carlson Backstrom but nobody obvious um you know, after that, I don't know if we're including like Kayla Decky or somebody, but well, Scherzer, I think Scherzer's there. Uh, sure, right, right, sorry, sorry, sure, yeah, Scherzer, Strasburg, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I'm with you though. I think I think Chase Young and Soto, and then the question is, yeah, which one becomes Soto is already one of the top handful of players in the league. Chase Young had a really good rookie year and is projecting that way, but he is such a fun personality. Uh, that's to me why it probably puts him over the top, combined with the fact that the that the team is the more popular team, but like, yeah, what's your, where, where do you fall between? Well, so I, it's really interesting because, so I've been here since 2003. um, And at that time, like the the football team was so far and away, the most important thing that we covered as a staff. I mean, I didn't get on the, the beat until 2008, 
Um, but there were times that we sent seven and eight people to a road game, uh, which is, so I'm not saying that the football team isn't the most popular entity in town. It's the NFL. It's the biggest business. Um, but the, the gulf between the, the football team's biggest star being far and away the biggest star in town and the possibility that somebody could be closer has it's that that gap has has shrunk considerably in the last two decades because the owner has worn down the fan base because they haven't won because um, people are bitter. You know, people have given up season tickets. They don't like the experience and baseball returned and baseball won a championship. And there are some people who like, and I'm not saying Juan Soto is bigger than, I just think it's so much closer than 15 years ago, you would have said, um, you know, Sean Taylor is this force on the NFL team and, and people are really getting in uh, with, with him. Um, then, then the, you know, Alex Ovechkin would have been a distant second or whoever was number two, um, just by the virtue of the sport that he played. And I don't think that's the case anymore. Um, I also would say that even though I think Chase Young's uh, personality is great and a big part of why he'll be a, a, a star here, don't sleep on Soto's personality too. His, his English is getting better. He's funny. Um, he's personable. He's got kind of a playful edge to him. Um, there's a lot like there uh, in an interview kind of stage too. And, and to the point we had, we talked before. If he if he stays, that will that will make him even more popular because he chose to stay where That's the right. other guys left. I mean, maybe they would have stayed if whatever. But like they did leave. Um, if he stays, that's only going to make him more interesting. And I think, like, again, like sort of like on the Bradley Beal front, like everybody's trying to trade him out of here. I'm like, wait, this guy wants to stay. He's like giving, he's doing everything he possibly can. You can't ignore that. You're tra- like, you know, what are you can trade Bradley Beal for? These guys we talked about before, these one and done hypothetical guys, we have no idea if they're good. This guy's great. He's not going to, is he going to be the best player on the title team? No, but let's not discount what, the, what it means for this, uh, for this team and or for this area. And by the way, to your point about, um, the gap between the the football team and the and, and others anybody like, anything else yeah when gilbert arenas was was in town and he was at one point the most popular guy in town even though there was a lot of reasons to not give him that five-year massive extension that ultimately proved to be a disaster he was the most popular guy in town at a point when it really was only about the football team and i don't discount that i i gave the wizards a pass to a degree to take advantage of the marketing aspect that you have this guy yeah, crazy, whatever. But he's an incredible player when he's healthy, and, and more than just that, he's very entertaining. So yes, you, it's very rare to get that. So I, I, I think you're right that the it's not often the gap is close, but we are kind of there. Um, we are kind of there right now. Um, uh, and I think the fact that there there's not a long-standing incumbent quarterback here is a factor too. I mean, in any town, you know is Minneapolis completely sold on Kirk Cousins? No, but he is a big figure in that town because he is the quarterback of the NFL team. We, we just haven't had, um, I mean, even when Cousins was here, I guess he was the biggest star in town, but it wasn't, um, there's just been so much turnover at the most important position in American sports that um, you don't have that guy that you just look to as a star. Right. And, and so to that end, like I was going to get to the, ask you this earlier when we were talking about Alex Smith, but I can sort of shoehorn it in now. Like part of my thought was in terms of the most popular is uh, can the, is there a, a quarterback who's starting for, the, for three years in a row? And if so, then that guy in 2020, whatever year it is, 24, he, he may be the answer if he's any good. Um, do you uh, there's obviously a lot of talk about what's Washington going to do at quarterback. 
and the answers are not great, although unless you just say, screw it, send everything you have to go get like a Deshaun Watson, is, is there anything that stands out to you as, as far as what you would do for, for their quarterback situation? Well, so, I mean, we know that they think it's a huge priority because they were involved in the Stafford trade talks, right? So, um, and that's, that's going to get a guy who probably is closer to the end of his career than the beginning of his career. I am these um, scenarios, trade scenarios uh, where people are like, well, you can't give up, you know, Terry McLaurin or you can't give up. uh, I mean, Young is probably a different. You can't give up Montez Sweat. No, I'm sorry. This is the the this team has been limited severely by its quarterback situation for 20 something years. Um, It. It has not been able to, I mean, it's won one playoff game since the last Super Bowl. Uh, no, since uh, one playoff game this this century, right? Um, uh, largely because they've had a bazillion quarterbacks. If you go to the best times of this team when they won three Super Bowls, they didn't do it because it was Belichick and Brady. They won it with three different uh, quarterbacks. It's baked into the DNA that there's not a franchise quarterback here, maybe going back to since Theismann um, and maybe back to Sonny. Uh, so they have to solve that problem. And this thinking that, um, well, we've got a lot of nice pieces. And if we could just find like a, a, you know, I mean, I can't believe how excited the town is about Taylor Heineke's five quarters of football. Like he's a math major at ODU, right? Like, yeah. I think the big taking a big swing um, for a quarterback is is and that could be in the draft um, or it could be trading for, you know, one of one of these guys that's supposedly on the market. But that's priority number one for that franchise. It's it, it, it's hard to argue. It is it, it, if you had to sort of say what's the biggest problem with the NFL, meaning the sport itself, it is that the quarterback position is so overly weighted. If you don't have a really good one, it's really the only way you can really win if you have a literally an all time level defense like the Bear eighty five Bears and the Ravens teams with Ray Lewis. It, it is such an important position. You lose that guy, and you just don't have much of a chance. And and that's why to not have one is tough and and there is no great options right now based on the available what the ones we know to be available and you're right if Deshaun Watson springs free then you have to ask yourself the question what are we doing here do we do we want to solve the most important position and figure out the rest or do we want to you know build up around that position and hope we can you know find somebody who's good enough to, to get by and that's uh the, the, it's a major it's a major question and right now there's no good answers until we know right. Deshaun Watson or others may be uh, may become available. Um, the timer is literally at 10 seconds on this topic, which means we have effectively executed this this this, this plan. And without Good any plan. major <laughs> without any without any major hiccups, had had had, uh, had that go for you? The, the, I think that worked out great. Yeah, that's a that's a good format. You should uh, you should use it uh, in the future. Although I suppose there's not there's not a hundred people who um, talk like seven different sports. I suppose. <laughs> Uh, yeah, right. Well, that, 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 that's why you're good. I, I, one of the reasons I thought about this was, I don't know if you ever think this, uh, I think about this like with Mina Kimes a lot. She's really good. And, you know, she'll put up videos, something she did on one of her NFL shows. And like the video will be there and it'll be like, she said, whatever the topic is, my thoughts on Russell Wilson. And like the topic says like a minute and three seconds. So I'm like, a minute and three seconds. 
how are you possibly getting in <laughs> coherent thoughts into a minute and three seconds? And then like, we're getting to the end. And it's like five seconds left. I'm like, Oh my God, I'm getting like, nervous. Is she going to be able to get this in? Are they going to cut her off? And somehow she's put in like a, a really insightful thoughts into like a minute. I'm like, okay, I'm clearly talking way too much to say one thing. So could I, how do I narrow this down? So I gave myself 10 minutes on a topic. That, that works out. Well, it's the old trick. Like um, I would have wrote, written you a, a short note, but I didn't have the time, right? Like it's it's harder to be precise and condensed uh, than it is to just ramble. I, every article I write on The Athletic, I don't count, I don't look at my word count until I'm done. And I'm always like, fuck, 1200 words is shit. But fortunately they don't, we, they, at my place, we actually, I think they, I think they almost recommend going going higher, but right. we, you know, you're limited on some level of times, I'm sure to to the newspaper. So you can't always do that. But I was like, oh my God, this is too much. So I- You're I'm not gonna not, use more paper. <laughs> I, I need to figure out ways to condense. So this is at least one way to do that. Uh, Bearman, I really appreciate it. Uh, I have to get you back because I got to get you. I got to ask you those uh, uh, five questions that everybody has. So we'll, we'll do it uh, next time. Uh, next time you come back, you let me know which of these topics you want to drill down on and, uh, and we'll work it out. Thanks, Ben. I appreciate you having me. All right. Fun chat there with Barry's Verluga. I really appreciate his time. Um, by the way, I should probably mention we we discussed there, you know, towards the end about quarterbacks and what Washington should do. It's come to my attention since we recorded the podcast that my own place uh, is reporting. We have a big takeout story today on Russell Wilson and what's kind of gone wrong with Seattle, and a story that indicates that there's some actual talk about uh, you know possible trade and some some teams listed as possible destinations. I don't believe Washington was listed, but. I, you know, I, I, we'll see where this goes. It's hard for me to comprehend that the Seahawks would let Russell Wilson go, even if that meant having to fire Pete Carroll. But we'll see what happens. In any event, it could be another quarterback out there. If nothing else, there's more to discuss, and we can get into that on future pod, future episodes of the podcast. And again, hopefully you guys uh, keep listening, keep subs- subscribe. Uh, I really appreciate it. Go again, go check out what's going on over at the athletic. My Brandon Sheriff story is up today. More stuff coming up over the next couple days uh, as well as we head into free agency and the draft. And I've already got some fun guests lined up for next week. So I really look forward to having, um, to having, uh, to get, well, I just I should just say, I'm looking forward to getting back on the mic. It's always fun to talk about the Washington football team, or in this case, talk about a lot of different topics in town. Um, let's do, let's end it there. Talk to you guys later. Until next time.